This morning I want us to turn in the scriptures to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, and we're going to read first from chapter 17, and then 18. Matthew chapter 17, and I want us to read verses 22 and 23. And then we'll verses 1 through 6 of chapter 18. These verses are occurring at the same time in the same place and really are involving the same subject in many ways. Matthew chapter 17 verse 22 and the scripture says and while they abode in Galilee Jesus said unto them the son of man shall be betrayed into the hands of men and they shall kill him and the third day he shall be raised again and they were exceeding At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted, and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoso shall receive one such little child in my name receiveth me. But whoso shall offend one of these little ones, which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. We'll end our reading there. We trust the Lord will bless his word to us for Jesus' sake. This morning, I want us to think particularly on the words of verse 4, where the Lord is answering particularly the question of the disciples and he says there whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven this I'm going to take as the title for our time together the question where do I fit where do I fit before we go any further, let's just ask the Lord to bless us and to meet with us for Jesus' sake. Father in heaven, now we would pray that thou wouldst bless the word of God, that thou wouldst take it thyself and use it in our hearts, Lord, to draw us closer to thyself, to teach us of the Savior, to free us not only from ignorance, but from many of the things that we 
find dross in this old world. Lord, we pray that you'll minister to us. We pray that you will make this word our own. We pray that you will help us to have ears that hear and hearts that heed. Lord, I pray now that thou will help me as thy servant, guide thought and word, give glory to Christ through our time. Amen. Often, where, when, and before whom words are spoken affects the meaning of a message as much as the words do on the surface. And I would suggest that such is the case with the portion that we are considering this morning. The Lord Jesus and his disciples are in Capernaum of Galilee in the days prior to his going to Jerusalem where he would be both received with hosannas as well as be delivered up to be crucified. The Lord had been speaking to the disciples about the events that would shortly come to pass with being killed and of the Jews. We read that in chapter 17. Now the scripture tells us that the disciples upon hearing this were greatly troubled and filled with sorrow. But also from the nature of the question that we read at the beginning of chapter 18, we can surmise that the disciples were as baffled and confused as they were sorrowful. The question about who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven was not at all a general question that was looking for some doctrinal answer. It is likely that the question was far more pointed than that. Perhaps we could even call it personal. If the king of Israel would be killed, where does that leave them? It was most commonly thought among the Jews that the Messiah was an earthly deliverer. How would his kingdom be structured and exist if he was killed? Perhaps in the minds of the disciples was the question, how is the system and structure of the kingdom to be set up and how is it to survive? Perhaps even more to the point, perhaps something that is more easily seen is the question, do we if you are killed how do we fit one scholar suggests that the thinking was almost as if an expectation on the part of the disciples already that the offices in that kingdom would be filled he uses this as a suggestion, perhaps it was understood that Peter would be prime minister. And maybe the sons of thunder would somehow be the war department. 
and so on. Well, we can understand by the nature of their question that there was a complete misunderstanding of the nature of the kingdom. But even more importantly, there was an understanding of what it means to belong to Christ. Absent in their thinking were the questions, what makes a man great with Christ? What makes a man useful to Christ? What makes a man able to know Christ and walk with him? Now, even though the disciples had walked with Christ, listened to him, and beheld all that he did for three years, they were still missing the essentials. Some did not even understand after the Lord had risen about the essential truths of Christ, for it says of the two on the Emmaus road that they had hoped that the Lord Jesus would at that time restore the kingdom of David. So here at this time comes the question about who's the greatest, most important, or who is going to be used to the greatest extent in the kingdom of the Lord. In other words, the disciples are saying, we are confused about all that you are saying. You are to be killed. You are to be raised again. How do we fit? Well, the Lord Jesus answers them by calling a little lad to him. One that may have been playing nearby or listening in the crowd. And he presents this little lad as the answer. Well, you might ask the question, but what kind of answer is that? How could little answer such a vastly important question? Well, the Lord offers an explanation that goes beyond their thinking. He answers the question of how a man is great with God, but also how a man comes to God at all. And so I would suggest to you that the Lord's answer, the Lord's picture that he offers through this young lad is not only enlightening, but is vital. I want us to think on the Lord's answer. I want us to think on this picture. Just to you that the boy was an object lesson. He was a lesson on the place of self and the product of the grace of God in both the saving and the using of a man of God. This young fellow was an object lesson that teaches us on how we come to Christ and how we're used of Christ. I've got just a couple of things I'm going to point out with you this morning. Simple points will be done very quickly, I'm, I'm thinking. I want you to see first with me an unlikely object. He was an object lesson, but he was an unlikely one. The unlikely object lesson. The Lord then sets a young boy in the midst of his conversation with his disciples. Well, we might ask right from the beginning, where did that young lad come from? In the providence of God, 
is the answer. He was either in the crowd, uh, which that play, perhaps with friends, whatever. But the point is the Savior calls him. And he Now we could ask, right? We stop right there and ask a question. Is there a very simple lesson even in the coming of the lad at the beckoning of Christ? Well, I tell you, there is very much a truth that can be seen in that. Coming to Christ, coming to God, being saved is simple. And it is the trustful coming at the word to come. Only make it more complicated than that. But here he is, standing by the Lord, sitting on his lap. Here's the boy. Well, you and I would have to say, well, how does that answer the disciples' question? How can this simple presence of a boy explain the nature of a kingdom? And the disciples were obviously puzzled. So the Lord explains. His words of explanation in verse 3. But I think the message to the disciples came before a word was said. The lesson began with the sight of the child. Look at the boy. Think about what you see. Esteem the sight of the lad. How does he appear to you? Was he clothed like a prince? Was he highly refined? Was there something absolutely remarkably notable about this young fellow? Or was he simple? And maybe even somewhat bedraggled. I suggest that the sight of the lad brought the whole of the matter into a new place. There was an utterly changed framework for the Lord's answer by the presence of this lad. There was an unspoken statement that all the thinking to that point on the part of the disciples and those that heard was wrong and based on errant assumptions. So what's being said? How does this lad picture the nature of saving faith and further the nature of serving God? The Lord's comment was that a man must be humbled to the point that he is like this lad. Think about where this lad is, what this lad can do, what this lad has learned, what he knows. You must be humbled like this lad if you're going to know God and serve God. G. Campbell Morgan suggests that there are three things in this consideration, this humbling, that we must note. The three things about this lad that are obvious that you and I must give thought to. And he says there's three things notable. First, 
He points to imperfection as seen in the lad. Simplicity as noted in the lad. And submission as evidenced by the lad's action. Three things that would mark the nature of becoming like the lad. First, the recognition of imperfection. Everything that a child of this age would do would fall short of perfection. A child, a little boy, is not able to perform the things that a full-grown man would. Everything he does is lacking in perfection. Ask a child to draw a picture of a horse running through the field. You're not going to have a picture that looks like Rembrandt's. Everything he does shows imperfection. I think the Lord is allowing his disciples to hear his words. Think about this. Think about this. Recognize this about yourselves. Though you're my disciples, though I love you dearly, understand you are yet not able to do what is required of God in perfection. You you fall short in all that you are and could ever do. There is nothing that you can do that meets the requirements of God. You and I must own those words. Though we believe they were prophetic words about the Lord Jesus, yet certainly they are true of us. Six, but I am a worm and no man. But the honest man would have to say, well, you're talking about, but I think if we're being honest and humble before God, our situation is, we would not only have to admit that we are not only imperfect, but altogether offensive to God. Yes, yes. But here's a word to us. Here's a word to us. If we are to be saved, we must see that we have nothing to offer God but sinful hands. Or as the hymn writer said, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. We have nothing that we can offer God. We are nothing. And if we are to serve God, we have nothing to offer but weak and unskillful hands. Understand this about yourself. Peter, James, John, Andrew, understand the rest of you. Look at this boy. Think about this boy. Think about what he would be saying to you about strength and power, and skill, and understanding. Recognize that you have none of these things. Well, I could just hear some people saying, well, brother, that that is absolutely no positive message. That's no way of building up the brethren to point out that we're all imperfect, that we're all weak, that we're all unskillful, that we all have hands that are unable to do what our God would have us do, that we would have to say, 
We are at the end of things, nothing but unprofitable servants. How is that a positive message? Positive of a positive message to you is simply this. The way to building up of the brethren is the way of humbling of the brethren. The humbling of the brethren. To become as a little child before God. This is what I am. I have nothing in myself. I have nothing that would allow me to be considered better than another brother. There is nothing in me but that which I have to say, if it were to be seen in its entirety and known for all that it is, would make me ashamed. That's all that I am. But praise God, by the blood of Jesus Christ, I am cleansed from all that. I made a new creature. The recognition of imperfection is part of what we see in this humbling. To use the second of Morgan's suggestion, the prominence of simplicity. The prominence of simplicity. The lad was simple. You can imagine the Lord suggesting this thought to his disciples. If I tell this little fellow something that I will do for him, how will he respond? Now, a child, a little boy, does not dive deeply into the hidden parts of matters. He doesn't try to deal with the artificial or the hypo hypocritical. He doesn't get taken up with the unspoken meanings to things. Rather, his mind stays on the surface and on the plane. He trusts in what he has promised and what he has been brought to understand. God has said. God means what he has said. So, it's time to do what God has said. Very simple. Very plain. I don't have to foist upon the word, the calling, the will of God... All my understanding, all my wisdom and frugalities and all the other things that we like to compliment about. The Lord says you simply receive what God has said. You believe what God has said. You do what God has said. What has God said about salvation? You're saved when you believe God's gospel as a little child. What, what is it? How are you to receive the gospel? Simply this. The message of salvation is to turn from sin and trust in the sacrificial work of Christ. Go no further in your thinking. Go no further. It is a very simple truth. I turn from my sin. I am a sinner. I turn from that. The Lord Jesus has bled and died to wash away my sin. I believe on his work. And I come to him 
asking for his salvation. Plain, simple, Very frankly, to serve and be great among men is to learn the mind of God and do it. Simple, plain, clear. To be received by us as those who are little children. The Lord has said it, I believe it. Do not regard the ways. Do not regard the conclusions of men. Vain or empty is both the help and the thoughts of men. And you know, simple thinking when the Lord tells you, don't think too highly of yourself. Well, now that one's pretty hard. Um, that one needs patience. No, it doesn't. To serve Christ. You can't serve Christ and think highly of yourself. You are a servant. Stop there. That's all you are. That's all you'll ever be. Think of yourself. Look at yourself. Simply, honestly, humbly. I am a servant. No more. Now, Lord, as the eyes of servants are under the hand of their master... So my eyes are to you. Show me what you'd have me to do. The third thing that Morgan suggested was what I'm calling readiness of submission. This is a very plain truth. The mark of a child's heart is submission to what they are told. Now, I'm going to step back and say not all children do this. By nature, they are sinners. But the likelihood of a child doing what he is led to do is far greater than one who has walked in the way of self-will for years. He wants to submit to what God has said. Obey. That's very important. says to do something you do it when you don't be involved with that then you're not involved with that there it is well but you have to understand in the day in which we live now wait a minute as soon as you start adding something you're going down a road that leads you to wrong thinking the point is God has said it we do it period now all of these Characteristics speak of one common thread being brought. Man will be great, the man who will be saved, the man who will be used is the man who will be humbled. This was completely outside the thinking of the disciples at that time. Let me just note with you that humbling. The humbling of which we speak here is a lasting effect, not a momentary feeling. Sometimes we feel like, okay, I'm, I'm humble now. Or I just, I decided I'm humble, so I am. And then five minutes later, we're just, oh, no, 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 no. 
When you become as a little child, it's an effect that lasts. It is a purposeful putting of self under the will of the Lord Jesus. And further, the context of interrelational dealings, the humble man becomes the servant of those about, not the other way around. So, I would suggest to you that was the unlikely object. The Lord used a little boy. It didn't seem like there was anything in that picture that could possibly relate to what the disciples were asking, but in fact, it had everything to do with what they were asking. And now I want us to think on the second point, and this is my last. The unattainable objective. The unobtainable objective. Wherefore, whosoever therefore shall be humble himself, or shall humble himself as a little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That sounds plain it sounds very clear but I have to say it almost sounds unknowable because there is nothing in us that will readily be a little child the opposite is the case in fact in fact so Paul has to admit this himself in Romans chapter 17, he says, For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. In other words, Paul is saying it's almost as if this whole thing of wanting to become like Christ and serve Christ and follow Christ because of what I find in me is almost an impossible thing. Or perhaps we could even say it this way, that self-love and pride are so strong in the hearts of fallen men that we can hardly receive the words that are spoken to the Lord in this instance. Lord, I don't know what it means to be humble. I don't know how I can be humble. I don't know how to humble myself. This is something that's quite beyond me. Oh, understand that this picture that the Lord Jesus offers us here in Matthew chapter 18 is not some nice little object lesson that makes us smile and nod. Oh yes, let's be like the little. This is the most central of truths of what the Christian life is. This is a defining picture. This tells us what it means to truly follow Christ. To be like Christ. This is not just some nice thing where you have a little boy who climbs up into the Savior's lap and everybody smiles. Oh yeah, let's try to be more like. No sir, this is a vital lesson of what it really means to be a Christian. But then we're faced with a problem. If I cannot become humble how am I to be humble and do what the Lord says if I have the same plague in me that Paul had in him that the way in which I am made to be like this young lad is just not innately in me how am I supposed to 
possibly do as I'm being told here? Well, I think the answer in the object lesson. If the Lord Jesus held this young lad or had him stand right before him, what would have been the center of the lad's attention? This is imperative for us to understand and glean. If the Lord held this young fellow or he stood right beside him, what would have been the center of the lad's attention? Well, I would say this. I doubt it was himself. I doubt it was himself, and I doubt even more that it was the disciples. You know the answer. To that. I think his eyes was on the Lord Jesus. He called me to him. I sit on his lap. One of me. What am I doing? Oh, the Lord's using you, son. He's teaching a vital lesson to those that stand around. I say this to you when a man's heart is set on the Lord, all that is within him comes into the proper light. He sees himself as imperfect with simplicity of mind. And the mind and heart that sees the Lord will submit to the will of God. There are some verses in the book of Hebrews that in fact deals with it in fact is an admonition, an instruction, an encouragement that we would be doing exactly as I'm saying here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. You know these verses. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And run, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. That's almost like what I was asking the, the question. How am to get this humility, to have this change of heart? How is it that I am to be changed into one who is useful? I think verse 1 is... The answer is in verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Looking unto Jesus, conclude by what does it mean? To look unto Jesus. What does that mean? Is that trying to imagine him in your mind? To get a picture of the Son of God? 
at some point in his life or his ministry? Uh, no. No. I think it entails a couple of things. Looking to Jesus, I think first, entails a determination. Determine that the only place of your help, the only definition of your meaning in life, and the determination of your place in service is found in the person of Christ. I then, I then determine, then is Jesus is to understand that He determines everything for me. My understanding of life, my understanding of service, my understanding of truth and error. I look to Christ. Paul is an example of a man where this whole thing happens for him, as it were, so to speak, in an instant. You know, Paul was on the Damascus Road. and Even as we read in Galatians chapter 1, to zealously persecute the church for reward. And of course, you know, from the book of Acts chapter 9, that there was a stopping of Paul by the Lord Jesus on that road total arresting and Paul coming to see the Lord Jesus comes to the place where you would think no man of his heart would ever come and these are the very first words out of his mouth what would you have me to do Paul looked to the risen Christ and in later years, he gives testimony. Philippians 3, verses 8 and following. He says this. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them that I may win Christ and be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Looking unto Jesus, I look no other place. When it comes to all my questions, when it comes to all my prayers, those questions, those prayers are answered in the person of the Lord Jesus. I go no further than thinking about who he is to me. And by my consideration of him, I am brought to the place where with Paul we can say, I gladly suffer the loss of all things. 
How am I made humble? By the Lord Jesus being made plain to me. It's a determination. Seeking or, or looking at Jesus is a determination. But it is all secondary and an active seeking. We act. I want to meet with Jesus. I want to hear from Jesus. I want to love on Jesus. And by the goodness and mercies of I seek Christ, for he is my Lord. I seek Christ because he is my friend. I seek Christ because he is all my plea. I seek the Lord Jesus. So I come back to my title. Where do I fit? In the kingdom of God, in the scheme of the Lord's redeeming work, my place in this life, my place in this church, where do I fit? Take the lad. My answer to you, where do you fit? The answer is, where you fit. It doesn't have to do with men. It have to do with office. Opportunity. It doesn't have to do with talents. See, like the lad at the Savior's lap, we look to him. We do not look at what we suppose is the We do not look at is or what we're supposed That's what the disciples did. We look to Jesus. And we understand he places us and he uses us as he wills as he placed and used a little boy. Lord, I want to be a little boy. Not physically, not mentally, not emotionally. You know what I'm saying. But I want to be a little boy. I want to be just as simple and as submissive to my God as I may be. Not that I would be great, but that I would know him. The power of his resurrection. The Conformable, being made like him. Where do I fit? I think you know the answer. Right where Jesus is. Well, may the Lord bless his word to our hearts for his own name's sake. Father in heaven, now we pray that you will bless this word. We pray that thou will guide us to your feet, that you will help us to be those who are enabled by your grace to be what we need to be 
to reflect Christ in our lives. Let the Spirit of God continue to preach to us this day. We pray in Jesus' name for his sake. Amen.